0: You guys, uh, we've been going through the book of Acts. And of course, you've got quite a bit of uh, the journeys of Paul and his companions. And so while Ben is away, I, I felt uh, compelled to take a little detour as we'll be going through uh, a few chapters in the book of Romans. In The book of Romans. I've heard it said that the church would be a lot better off be stronger. If first of all, everyone who came to church had a Bible in their hand. I was uh, unfortunately my car broke down this morning, but I, I took a bus in, and there was about uh, twenty or so people that were on the bus that ended up getting off at a, another church on the way, and uh, none of them had a Bible in their hands. I was kind of kind of saddened by that. So, um, so it'd be good if people brought their Bibles, which I know in this fellowship people do, but I've heard it said that. If God forbid that you're walking with your Bible and it to fall, and it open up to a familiar passage on the on the ground, that it'd be wonderful if that passage it opened up to was Romans chapter five, six, seven, and eight, because that those chapters are really fundamental to the the Christian walk. And I pray that that in your Bible on those chapters it's well worn and well read. Uh, perhaps not because maybe you're like me. And like Peter, who find the book of Romans and, and to be honest, all of uh, Paul's writings a bit difficult. So I'm going to read to you what Peter says at the end of one of his books as he's writing to the uh, believers there. He talks about this and he says, um, consider that long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. And so Peter is talking about how Paul had written to the believers, much like Peter did, to encourage them. And then he says something that I find quite funny. He says, "Also, uh, as also in all of his, Paul's, epistles, now don't be confused, an epistle is not the wife of an apostle, it's just a letter. In all of his letters, speaking in them, of these things, so he's in line with what Paul was saying, but then he says, in which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. And so one, he recognizes that Paul's writings are scripture, but he also says, and you know, Paul, his writings, he's saying the same thing, and I know it's kind of hard to understand what he writes about. So you're, you're in good company, uh, with Peter as you read some of Paul's writings and think that's pretty hard to understand. And, and not only because Paul was very intellectual and he would write using big words and huge vocabulary kinds of things, but that is translated. So you can imagine if you're translating from one language to another and it's see, spot, run. See, so, you know, it's fairly easy. But if you're dealing with someone with a large vocabulary, it's much more difficult to translate. And so bear with me as we go through these chapters and and really tune in, and we'll pray for the Holy Spirit to work with us so that we can understand these things and that He can speak to us. So let's pray. Lord, as we do open up Your Word, and we uh, so appreciate uh, the writings of Paul to uh, clearly articulate things, although sometimes it's just really difficult to comprehend these things, and so many people, as Peter has said, have taken the Scriptures and the the things of the writings, and twisted them to mean things that they don't mean. And so help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Help me to speak clearly and help us to be able to focus in on these words and help your holy, have your Holy Spirit fill us with your word and your strength by your power to be able to understand these things. Take the things of this world, the cares, the problems, the issues that we are having, and get them out of the way so that we can hear from you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are in Romans chapter 5. Now, a bit of a disadvantage uh, just picking up in the middle of a book like this because it uh, it doesn't quite have the flow. So let me just remind you of how Romans is starting to flow. As Paul begins to write these things and he says in chapter 1, he talks about the depravity of man, the, the hopelessness, the sinfulness of man, and and the, the spiral that man goes through and getting worse and worse in their sin if left unchecked. And then in chapter 2, he starts talking about how God is just in judging man and the sin of man. That we can't ever stand before God and say, well, you, you know, you judged this person and, and what they did, but you really didn't have any right to do that. No one can stand before God. Chapter 3 is a bit of a transition from the justice for sin and the buts, and the, the, but the faith. And he starts to transition into chapter 4 about this idea of faith and righteousness through faith. And in chapter 4, Paul uses Abraham as an example of that. And he says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Rightness. Before an almighty God, the sin had been forgiven of him because, not of his works, but he just believed God. And that's something we really have to comprehend as as believers and get people to understand that are, are searching, that it's not... The church or what you do or what you say. It's just believing God. It's like believing him. What does that mean? Well, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, do you believe that? Yes. Well, God looks at you and says, right on, right on. You believe me. You believe my word and you're counted as righteous. We're hopeless in our sin. And then chapter four is that beautiful transition as he shows through the example of Abraham that he believed God, and it was accounted for righteousness, and of course, James picks up on that same thing and says, and then Abraham did works, you know, he uh, offered his son Isaac on the altar because of that faith in God, not, uh, he wasn't found just, uh, just or righteous because of that act, and then in chapter 5, we begin to see a beautiful word, and you're going to start to see some of these christian words, don't you love those, Christian-y words, and the first one is justification. And that's what chapter 5 is all about. We should get a good grasp of what that means. And then in chapter 6, we get the, the picture of sanctification, another beautiful Christianese word, and we'll talk about that next week. And, and then in chapter, as we get further along, in chapter 8, he talks about glorification that God is working towards. And then tucked inside of there is chapter 7. Now, you may not know about chapter 7, A lot of people miss that one. They see justification and sanctification and glorification, but tucked inside of there is another Asian that I'm not going to tell you about. You have to come next week to hear it. See, how's that really get you going there? So we'll cover uh, chapter uh, 6 and 7, God willing, next week. But this week we're in chapter 5, and we're going to be talking about justification. And chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, therefore, I mean, that's a transition that says, Because of our belief, and we believe God, and now uh, we are made right before him. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. An amazing transition verse there as he begins to talk about this word justification, and I like the simple uh, definition of that: is justification, just as if I had never sinned. God sees me as a right before him, just as if I had never sinned, A beautiful picture there. He says, notice there, it says, therefore having been. What tense is that? That's past tense. Having been. Okay, that's, it's happened. Okay, I believe God and it was accounted for me for righteousness. Done. Okay? Single point in time. And now he says, now having been justified. Okay? That's done. Let's start talking about some of the, the beautiful benefits of being able to be justified By faith. Verse 1 says, the first one is that we have peace with God. Do you know that we are at enmity or enemies of God before we accept and before we believe Him? And then God sees us as righteous, and then we're at peace with Him. When Jesus came, the Messiah was to come and bring peace. If you talk to a a non-believing Jewish person, one of the biggest issues they have about Jesus coming to the earth is they'll tell you, well, the Messiah was supposed to bring peace. Do you see peace? Well, no, so he couldn't have been the Messiah. No, he brought us peace with God. That's what we really need. Peace on earth he will bring eventually, but peace with God is what Jesus brought, and that was the fulfillment of the promises of the Messiah. So we have peace with God. Peace, man. You know, we go through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, through whom... We also have our second thing. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What does that mean? We have access. Of course, we have access to God. We can speak to God and, and, and worship Him and, and anytime we want. We have complete access as if a child of the King can just walk in anytime we want and say, Hey, Dad, instead of, you know, almighty oh, King. Of course, we have homage of who He is. But we have access to the grace. We have access to the grace. Remember, grace is that unmerited favor. We have access to it. I'll have a little grace, please. Thank you very much. We'll have a little bit more of that. And it's like God freely gives us unmerited favor just because we are justified. And we often forget about that. We're like, well, I, I did good today, and so God gave me some favor, but no, no, I didn't do so well to the next day, and now God's mad at me, and it doesn't work that way. We have access to that grace. And, check this out, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now that seems to make sense. We take joy in a hope of the glory of God, that we're going to someday see God and, and He's going to make everything right. And there's this anticipate, hope means anticipating good, ultimate good. So we have this hope. It's, like, oh yeah. And, and Jesus is coming soon. And, oh, this is wonderful. But he doesn't stop there in this idea of having joy or having rejoice, rejoicing. And I appreciate the song that we sing even today, Blessed Be Your Name. When things go well, blessed be your name. When things go bad, blessed be your name. You give, you take away. (laughs) Blessed be your name. Because look what Paul says, verse 3. You get to rejoice in the hope of God. And not only that, there's more behind door number 2. There's more. And you kind of get excited. Oh, there's even more. He says, we also glory in, ugh, I hate this word, tribulations. What? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character. And then the word comes back again, hope. He says we have the hope of the coming of God, the glory of God, but we also get hope Through tribulations, as the tribulation produces perseverance and character and hope. What's that hope? Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What he's saying is when you're going through tribulations and difficulties, you can still have joy because you know the creator of the universe is allowing this into my life. And it's going to work in my life to build character. It's going to build perseverance. It's going to build up a hope of coming good. God's going to work it out. I, you know, bad things happen, but it's going to work out. God is going to work it for good in my life and for those around me. You see, throughout scripture, it's not in the good times that people grow. It's in the bad times that people grow. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty as I'm sure you are. Confession time. When we pray for people, what do we pray for? Oh, heal them of this. Oh, help them in this financial situation. Get them a new job. Do the, you know, deal with this issue. And and sometimes I wonder, you know, as James talks about, not, you know, everything that we say, you know, we should say, but your will, God. Because oftentimes it's through those difficulties and through those trials and through financial issues and through hardships and marriages and hardships and work environments is when we grow the most. I know when I look back on my life, it's the days that I'm coasting and everything's going fine. I don't grow as much as when I'm like, oh, God, help me. I was like, well, finally, you decided to pray. <laughs> so well, I know I had to go through a difficult time before I did this. And so that's what he's saying. Now, this hope does not disappoint because us as believers, as those who have been justified, we have to understand that God loves us completely and absolutely, regardless of our situation and regardless of what we do. That is such a critical thing for us as believers to not only comprehend intellectually, but genuinely believe that in our hearts. That's why Paul is going to begin to talk about this and explaining that God loves us in spite of us. And that's where his transition, verse 6, begins to talk about. So follow that flow. He's saying, you've been justified, and, and now we can have all these wonderful things and access to his grace and, and joy in our lives because we know God ultimately loves us and he's ultimately in control. But just in case you, you, you question God's love for you, just in case, Paul uses the next few verses to explain that to us. Verse 6, he says, When we were still without strength... In due time, Christ died for the wonderful people out there. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. He he died for the ungodly. For scarcely, verse 7 tells us, for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us In that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand Paul's argument? He talks about the love of God, and we can have hope in that even in tribulations. And he says, and I want you to get this straight. God loves you. God loves you. He loved you before the justification, before the sanctification, before the glorification. He loved you while you were yet sinners. Christ died for you. Do you understand that? He's beginning to... Bring that out. And then he says in verse 9, Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, he tells you again, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Paul is going through and he says much more. He says the sinners there in verse 9, much more having been justified, having been allowed to be made righteous by his blood, we were saved when we were still enemies, 10 tells us. When we were still enemies. I was trying to think of a picture in my mind of what this might look like. And the thing that popped in my mind is, imagine I I wanted to buy my wife a, a car. I said, Honey, I'm gonna get you a car. And we go and we travel down to the local junkyard. And I say, Honey, <laughs> pick whatever you like. Just get whatever you want. Just go down the roads, whatever you like. And she's kind of, oh, all right. And she's walking around. Oh. Well, you know, that 1968 Holden Ute that's all rusty and has no fenders and the hood's gone and the, there's no seats. That's a beautiful car. That's a beautiful car. She, she just falls in love with it. I'm like, okay, uh, how much you want for that, uh, 1968 rust bucket? Uh, $5. Uh, okay. There you go. And, and my wife just, just loved it. I have no idea why. I mean, it's just a piece of junk. It's just loved it. So, you know, get it towed home and, then we begin to work on it, you know, and clean it up and put some stuff on there. And I get Wayne to build a few metal parts because I can't find parts for that car anymore. And, and we, we build it up, and now it's all shiny and beautiful. And, and my wife sees it, and she's like, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for working on it and all this. She still loves it, but she loved it before. And, and the fact that I fixed it up is great, but, oh, oh, we just got a ding in the car. Okay, remember how it was? It, w- it was a piece of junk. And now it's, it's, it's becoming more and more beautiful. The fact that it has a flat tire or doesn't work is, is inconsequential compared to what it was. And so what, what the Bible is telling us is, is God saw you in the junkyard, saw you as a rust bucket, useless, and He loved you. And then He takes you, He cleans you up, makes you righteous, and He's working on you and making you and sanctifying you and ultimately glorifying you. And we say, oh, got a dent in the door. God hates me. He loved you <laughs> when you were a piece of junk, which God said, I love that. I love you. So we should not fall into that trap of saying, well, God loves me today. He doesn't love me. We have to understand that he loved you while you were yet sinners, Christ. While you were still his enemy, he loves you. Could we, could we maybe look at others in that light? that God loves them too, that God can see others, or we can see the way God sees others, maybe that person that you get mad at. I think we kind of need that glimpse in our hearts to be able to understand for a moment as Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing because he sees them and he loves them even in spite of their sin. So never let that whisper in Satan does in our ears or our flesh that says, because I've done this, because of this, God has stopped loving me, or he loves me more now and loves me less. It is complete. He loves us 100% from the moment that we were created. And how much more, Paul says, is he going to just enjoy us as he sees his work, as he begins to make us more and more like him? And, And then in verse 11, he brings this idea of rejoicing back in. He says, not only does he love you completely, he says, we can rejoice that God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Received. Done. It's finished. It's finished. When Jesus said, it is finished, then it's finished, right? We we can take heart in knowing that. And now he's going to begin in verse 12 to talk about this idea of it's finished. Because you might say to yourself, It seems odd that one man 2,000 years ago could do this act and that that could have the effect on me and to be able to forgive me of my sins and do all these things. How could one man do this? How could he reconcile us through the act that he did? And now Paul is going to explain that. He's going to explain how Jesus in that one act of dying on the cross and rising again could save us and reconcile us to him and make us perfect before him. So he says in verse 12, Therefore, just as though one man, sin, entered in the world, and death through sin. Now, when you look at that, it's like one man, sin entered in the world. Hmm, who might that be? You know, Adam, when he did that sin, he bombed out, right? I like to call it the Adam bomb. He bombed out, right? It was the sin that caused so much problem. You know, I out in the yard and I'm I'm amazed. The 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 weeds grow without me even planting them. Adam. Ah, Adam, I can't believe you did this. Mowing and doing all these things. It's Adam's fault. It's Adam's fault. He says, Adam is this person he's talking about as we'll see in just a moment, but he says. Through one man, sin entered in the world. And we're going to get three things that happen because of Adam's bomb. Okay? The first one says that sin entered in the world. So, problems and issues entered in the world. We have weeds, we have entropy, we have all these things happening. And then, continuing there, he says, and death through sin. There's death in this world. Death is because of Adam's sin there. And thus, de- death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, if you notice there in verse 13, I assume in your, your Bible there, you'll see a parenthesis start. Now, you got to love Paul. When he does a little parenthesis, he means, and, and I just got another thought, and he writes off to the side of the scroll, and then turns the page and scroll, 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 and then ultimately comes back to his point. So I want to find somewhere the end of this parenthesis so we can get this thought and then we'll come back to why Paul feels it necessary to bring this out. So we have two things so far. We have the sin entered in the world because of Adam. Death came into this world because of Adam. And then verse 13 begins a parenthesis, which we're going to skip to, until the end of verse 17. And then we get the third thing. It says, therefore, as though one man's offense... Judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. That's the third thing that happened. So we have sin entering the world and we see the consequences of that all around us. We see that death has come into the world and 100% of people surveyed over history that have lived have died, except for Enoch and Elijah, you know. But, you know, these people, everybody dies and then the last thing, because of sin and death, there's condemnation, condemning. That's the future. There's no hope because of this sin. Sin entered in the world, and made it all bad. Death and condemnation. Apart from God's grace, apart from the good news, there's no hope because of what happened to the sin. So those are the three things that happen. Now, Paul feels it necessary in this parenthesis to explain something that I think most Christians don't really get, and you might think it's not that important, but I think it is. So let's take a look at what Paul is going to point out here in this parenthetical section in verse 13. He says, "For talking about the sin and death. He says, For until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So Paul's making a little point here. He said, sin was in the world, but this idea of missing the mark, this idea of not obeying the law, doesn't work when there's no law. He said, there was sin in the world, but the law hadn't come up yet. Do you understand that? So from Adam... All the way until Moses, thousands of years, when Moses got the law from God and shared it. Until that time, there, there, there was still sin in this world, but God couldn't account the sin against people because they didn't know. It's a bit like if you, you're driving down the road and you decide to do 200 kilometers an hour, you can't really be told you can't do that if there's not a sign that says 60 now, maybe they'll have an argument where it's just a global, if there's no sign. You know, forget that for a minute. But just this idea, if there's no law, you know, I could take the same car in the same situation and go to Germany and on the Autobahn, and I could do 300 kilometers an hour, and there's no ticket because there's no law against it. So without the law, there's there's no sin. So that's the point he's making. There's, there's sin from Adam to Moses, but they can't be held accountable for that because there was no law to show them that it was wrong. Okay? Follow with me here. Don't let me lose you because this is a little bit hard to follow Paul's writing here. But he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. He's like, sin and death by sin. Sin was in the world, but can't really be counted against you because you didn't have the law. But there was still death. People still died from the time of Adam to Moses. So it can't be the law that is causing the death. It can't be your sin of these people at this time causing the death. You understand that? It can't be them sinning that caused the death. It was Adam's sin that caused the death. He's going to continue to explain that, but I want you to understand this. It is Adam's sin, singular. Notice it says there in, if I can find it again, verse 13, For until the law, sin, singular, was in the world. It's Adam's sin. When he sinned, it caused all this. Not your and my sin as we go. And we're going to deal with that later. But why is that important? There's doctrine that kind of sneaks into the church sometimes, teachings that talk about this idea, and says, well, if someone... I mean, just hypothetically, if someone... Didn't sin. Someone was born and and somehow makes it and, and and doesn't sin. Well, they could go to heaven, right? Because they they didn't sin. And you say, well, yeah, but it says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So everybody says, okay, yeah, but but imagine what about what about maybe a a one 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 day old child? I mean, they were born. They they didn't have time to lust and covet and all that and. Maybe, maybe they, they didn't sin. Or, or what about, I believe in life in, at conception. So, uh, conception and, and then something happens. And, and, and you guys know, I, I've, most of you know, I've lost a daughter at seven days old and we've had a miscarriage and you think about these things and, and you say, oh, you know, well, I see them in heaven, how this works. I believe strongly that children before an age of accountability get to heaven. The issue is they don't get to heaven because they didn't sin. They get to heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's an important distinction. But whether it's that first you know, coming together of the chromosome of the male and female, coming together and making a brand new genome, and then, then not going any further than that. I believe that's conception and life. That person, God, I believe, brings them to heaven, not because they didn't sin, because they have the sin of Adam. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ and His mercies and grace. And so we can't allow, well, Jesus died for most, but some still sneak in. No, it's the blood of Jesus Christ to deal with the sin of, Ab- of Adam. Okay? And so we see this more clearly as He says, look, there was death in there because of that sin of Adam, even though the law hadn't been brought, there's still death and sin consequences because of Adam's sin, not because of the sins of the people. And it says, Adam, uh, verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. So Adam's sin was not believing God, who said, do not eat of the fruit, but believing Satan, who said, you will be like God if you eat it. He believed the wrong person there. And so it says, the transgression of Adam, who is a type or an anti-type of him who is to come, which we're going to see pointing to Jesus Christ. When we see this and we think about this, you might say, well, that's not fair. Adam messed up. Now I have fan the consequences, which, by the way, is why it's important to understand why Jesus was born of a virgin. He did not get that from the lineage of Adam, right? He had not that sin that was come from comes from birth. He had a clean slate where he lived a perfect life and was able to. But we can say, well, that's not really fair. You know, if i had been Adam, I'd have said, Eve, what are you doing? Come on, get out of here. God said not to do that. We're not going to do that. That's what I would have done. No. You know, Adam was the best we had to offer. He was the best. He didn't have the the parents that gave him a hard time or the you know, school issues that he can you know, and baggage. I mean, he was the man, right? It's kind of like uh, saying, oh, we're going to go against the New Zealanders in, in basketball, and uh, we're going to send our best one-on-one player, and we send you know, Luke Longley or something, and, and, and he goes, and, and, and he loses, and we say, oh, well, if I could have tried, I'd have definitely won that. Well, maybe Bob could do it. you know, He's a basketball guy. But, but you know, for me to say, oh, I'd win that, I'd win when, when our best basketball player didn't win. It was just silly. So our best representative failed, bombed out, and so we would have two. And so that sin entered in the world, and it's important for us to, as equally as we can say, well, why is the consequences of one man's sin causing all this problem? Now Paul is going to begin to talk about how Jesus overcomes this in verse 15. But the free gift, let's talking about what Jesus does, is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. You see, one man sin entered, but the grace by one man, Jesus Christ, that gift is abounding even more because of the sin that's in the world and his love for us. And he says in verse 16, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. It's like, thanks a lot for the gift, Adam. (laughs) But for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses, and that's offenses is just... uh, 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 resulted in justification, the, the offenses that, the, the works that Jesus did. It says this free gift of which Jesus did resulted in our justification instead of condemnation. So we have the sin and death, but condemnation? No. Justification. And that's why when we get to chapter eight, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? That's, that's what that context is. You are still In sin, you still have consequences of sin and death, but you don't have condemnation. You have justification through the gift of Jesus Christ. 4, verse 17, If by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life of the one, Jesus Christ. Notice the word reign is used there twice. Verse 17 talks about if by one's man offense, death reigns. Think of a kingship. Death is reigning. However, in the end of that verse there, it says righteousness through the gift of Jesus Christ. Now, righteousness can reign in the life through, our life through Jesus Christ. We can have righteousness reign in our life instead of death because of Jesus Christ. So not only do we avoid condemnation and we get justification, not only that, there's more. We get to enjoy Christ reigning in us, righteousness reigning, doing right reigning, rather than death and sin. We can have power over that, which we'll see in the next couple of chapters. So there in verse 18, we continue on after that parenthetical. Just to outline it for those of you taking notes, there's, there's the three things that uh, happened because of Adam's sin. It was the sin entered in the world, death entered in the world, and condemnation. The things that happened because of Christ's work is that we received grace, we received justification, and we received righteousness, or right standing before him. In verse 18, Therefore, as though one man's offense, or through one man's offense, judgment came in to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also, also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So he recaps that. just says, just like Adam messed up, and we get the results, Jesus lived that perfect life and died for us, and we can have and enjoy the results from that. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when Paul is talking about this, he says, moreover, he says, the law came, okay, He talked about this time when there was no law, and while there's still sin, there's still death. He says, but God gave the law, as Paul talks about in various places of his writings, that is a tutor to show us our sinfulness. He says, now you have a law there to show you what God is expecting. The law, not just do not commit adultery and all, just the law of God, and we have it written in our hearts and our minds as God does that. It's like, this is the law. And because of that law, we can see more clearly the sin. Do you understand? If there's no signs, if there's no law, a lawyer understands things better than maybe we do. So we go to a lawyer if we're stuck because they know what the law says, and they know that this is an offense and this isn't, whereas we might be dumb to that fact. It's like you have the law now, and you can understand the offenses more so that you don't feel worse, (laughs) right? That you understand grace more. The 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 longer you walk as a Christian, the idea is you see yourself more clearly as more of a sinner. Okay? I don't, oh, I'm really, God's really doing a great work in me. Look at me now. And, And we're getting better and better. And God's God hardly ever has to discipline me anymore. No, as we're walking, we see our sin more and more honestly and ugly. And it just blows our mind that the grace of God is big enough for even that. Or we're maybe not dealing with some of the big things, but all those thoughts that came to my mind and that that issue and that covetousness and that, those, those little things that should just bug us as the Holy Spirit is working in us, showing us the law that's been written on us, the things that we should do, and just marvel at God's grace and say, Wow, God still loves me. God still loves me, even though I re- didn't even realize I was doing bad things. And now I study the Word and I didn't realize it. Oh, that's really bad in my life too, and God convicts us and and deals with this Now you might say, "Wow, okay, so let me get this straight if 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 I realize my sin is, is worse and therefore I can understand the grace of God better should i should I maybe sin more so that 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 you know, grace abounds more because you know if i if I really just go out there and just really imagine how the grace, I would really appreciate the grace even more if I went out and sinned more. That would be a really good idea. we we'll look at chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And we will pick that up next week as we see this idea of sanctification. As, as, as we get past this whole thing, does God love me and all this, And get to a point where it's just like basking in the grace of God and realizing that God loves me, even though I got a dent today or whatever. He still loves me and he still wants to use me and just gets past all that. Now we can start talking about the work that God's going to do in you, not to make you more righteous because you're already right, not to, you know, build up your, you know, whatever, but just to, to get you to be more like him and we can enjoy those things. So as we look at these, Help us to be able to rejoice in the good. That's easy. And in the bad. I still whisper under my breath, it's Adam's fault. But, you know, (laughs) it's my fault. But the bad things are in this world. Why? Because I understand that God still loves me. And when others do bad, help us to realize (laughs) that God still loves them. And even if they do wrong to us. So we can still, Jesus had compassion on the multitudes, and he he would go and he'd see, and it says over and over again, he had compassion on them. Where does that come from? It's by seeing people clearly through the lens of God that he loves every man and woman on this planet. And if we see it that way, we're going to have more compassion in those situations, and we're going to be able to rejoice in the difficulties knowing that it leads to good works that happen in our life. And know that all good things come from Christ, not because of what I do. And help that to make us less about workers and more about worshipers. What I mean by that is not, okay, and we have the worship team come up here and they're singing a song. Let's hear you sing, sing louder. Because singing can be a work. <laughs> Prayer can be a work. Studying can be a work. Singing can be a worship. Reading can be a worship. Prayer can be a worship. Help us to have the motivation and realize, because of the grace of God, I I just desire to know more. God, show me more problems in my life that I can see your grace abound. Uh, Help me to sing out, praising you and and worshiping you in spirit and truth, just realizing your grace. Help us to genuinely be worshipers instead of just workers. Because workers have that I've found, workers... Don't worship. Worship. Workers don't worship. Let's pray. Lord, as we study through your word and begin to try to comprehend some of the things that you're sharing through your servant, Paul, I don't know why (laughs) you love us. I mean, we are junk in the junkyard. And you saw a jewel and you gave it all to 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 have us as your own. Help us to never doubt your love for us. And when we go through difficulties, and we do, when we go through good times, help us to turn back and say praise and blessed be your name. When we go through hard times, help us to go praise your name because you are doing a work in my life. You love me so much. You're allowing this to happen in my life not because you're angry with me or because of my sin or because of these things, but because you want to do a work in my life and you love me so much. And we're looking so forward to the coming as you set all things right. But until then, help us to be people with a clear vision of those around us, understanding that you love each and every one. And help us to be like you were able to do, even on the cross. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. As people wrong us, as we are so judgmental. Help us not to condemn those around us, but rather see them as people that you love. Give us love for one another, and ultimately give us fruit in our lives, which is love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.